0: Welcome to this month's episode of Vinyl and Celluloid, the podcast. This month's guest is Bradley Biggs, also known as the Hysterical Pyromaniac, and as you may have guessed, he's a massive Def Leppard fan. We'll be talking about hard rock, glam metal, AOR, you know, the decline, fall, and the new rise or re-emergence in uh, recent years of uh, the genre. We hope you enjoyed this one. So, yeah, Bradley, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking part of the third episode of Vinyl and Celluloid, the podcast. Um, You're also known as the hysterical pyromaniacs, so obviously a very strong connection with uh, Def Leppard. uh, Am I right?
1: (laughs) Yes, Yes, you're absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Excellent. So yeah, I mean, um, I've been talking to to Bradley just before, and uh, he was telling me about this really cool project, his senior thesis, actually, uh, that he's been working on, and um, it's pretty much uh, focused on providing a retrospective look at lesser-known hard rock and heavy metal groups between 1983 and 1993. I mean, this sounds fantastic. Uh, I know it's very well linked to your... um, to your uh, Instagram page and the obscurity hour post that you have. Would you, well, we would love to hear more about uh, this project, what motivated you to to write it, how's it going, methodology and whatnot. So all up to you, man. (laughs) Yes,
1: absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, I I am a student at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, I'm in the university honors program there. So uh, as a part of being in the program at the end of my four years, um, I have to create a senior thesis, and it can pretty much be about, you know, anything you want it to be, but for me personally, I know that I have such a strong connection and such a strong passion for hard rock and heavy metal, I figured, you know, what better topic to bring into my thesis than that? Um, so, course. yeah, like you said, it's this is totally going to be focused on um, the more obscure bands, you know, the bands that may have released a demo tape or two, or maybe even just a single or two, and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whether it be for... Mismanagement on part of the labels, or personal tragedies, or you know, band members leaving and going to different bands—whatever the reason may be—they um, just you know fell off the the face of the earth, so to speak—and maybe only left us with just a little bit of music. Um, my goal in this project is to sort of immortalize their legacies and and honor them by you know giving a brief description of sort of their history as a band and and going into album reviews. Um, I love to describe the music, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, another mm-hmm. exciting component of this project is i 'm really hoping to uh, bring in some personal interviews with with former members of these bands. Um, I think that would be wow. really cool to get some you know their insight as to what happened and and hear more of their history so I'm really looking forward to the project. Um, it's it's in its infancy right now, but I'm looking forward to developing it more and and hopefully sharing the details with you as it comes along.
0: Absolutely. Do you? Sorry, I don't mean to put any pressure whatsoever. But do you have a deadline? When can we expect to to hear more about these uh, these bands?
1: Um, so the the project itself will be fully completed and presented uh, a year from now. So okay. Um, next May it should be done. Uh, but uh, like I said, you know, this is uh, based off of my, my Obscurity Hour posts on my page. And so uh, a lot of those bands I'm hoping to kind of hook in and intertwine in this project. So I'm looking forward to it, man. It should be exciting.
0: It sounds like a great project. I mean, uh, I, you know, I... So tried to look at uh, you know topic specific uh, blogs and whatnot to to get my uh, my kick uh, or at least my uh, my info on those unknown bands and actually well out of the blue uh, one of the bands that I've listened to recently is uh, actually a British hard rock uh, group called garrison uh, the garrison yeah and so basically the only thing you have available are the demo tapes which well in some tracks you have you know, mediocre quality in terms of the sound uh, recording and whatnot but you you have I think 17 tracks or something that would would have Turned out to be a full album, and I know probably considering the interviews uh, you're conducting are mostly focused on on U.S. Uh, bands. <laughs> um, actually, uh, Garrison was—it's uh, one of the few examples I have, at least here in Europe, where uh, I was actually quite interested and keen on getting uh, or listening to those uh, those demos. And they're quite cool. If you if you don't know about them, I would definitely recommend uh, looking them up, or uh, and we can follow up on this one later. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, I appreciate the recommendations. Cool. So before we go into the obscurity and those lesser-known bands, let's focus on the, well, at least I would say your major passion or your favorite band. Is it safe to assume it's Def Leopard? <laughs> yes, that's definitely a safe assumption to make. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. So um, before I ask you a very crucial question, um Tell me a bit more or tell us a bit more about uh, your your interest in Def Leppard. I mean, was it something that you grew up listening or was it, um, how did you start listening to Def Leppard?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, Def Leppard has always been uh, sort of an anomaly to me. Um, you know, I first heard them when I was a kid and and my mom was actually the one who introduced them to me because she she grew up as a fan and sort of passed mm-hmm. the torch along to me, but... Uh, you know, it was really one of the only times where a song has just stopped me dead in my tracks, and I still remember the first song. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard was, was "Rocket" off of the Hysteria album, and just that <laughs> that thundering intro of Rick's drums just floored me. I don't know what it was, but all I, I all I knew was that I had to hear more, and so I kept listening. And I got a hold of the the Vault album uh, Greatest Hits, uh, released mm-hmm. in 1995. That was kind of my first you know, taste of, of the band. And then from there, I, I was hooked. I wanted to hear all their stuff. Um, and it, you know, it's really interesting because Def Leppard is one of those bands where their fan base can be a little polarized between their early work, you know, pre Hysteria (laughs) and, and their later work. Um, but for me personally, I'm, I'm a fan who loves all of it. (laughs) I'm not too picky, (laughs) but, um, absolutely my favorite album of all time, kind of going back to that first time I heard Rocket uh, would definitely be
0: Hysteria. So that was my key question, and we will follow up on that later. Uh, just sharing a bit, uh, you mentioned Anomaly. I would even, um, there's one really interesting thing, because for me, uh, I started to listen to The Flepper the same time I got into to Hard Rock. And I mean, yeah, it was both Pyromania and Hysteria, and then I went into their earlier stuff and later stuff. But um it's it's quite interesting because it seems like from all those new wave of british heavy metal bands they were the ones that achieved they were more successful in the in the states than they were in uh, their native uh, uk um it, it's quite interesting and and when you look at the the um, the, the charts you see that they, actually their albums started to to be more successful in the us than the the uk so so that's uh, it, i think it was a, a brand that was more appealing um or at least had a, a bigger impact in, in the us than it did here um so you mentioned uh, Hysteria as your favorite album. That was my my follow up question: Pyromania versus Hysteria. Um, and it, it's interesting because you this is the polarizing question that all all fans uh, are all Def Leppard fans are faced with. Um, I mean, I know that, for example, Hysteria was the original concept was to have the hard rock equivalent of michael jackson's thriller right so having almost every single track being a hit single and whatnot it it didn't turn out that way uh (laughs) if i think you'll agree with me on that one but um again what's your take on this pyromania versus hysteria uh debate that goes on i mean what what drove what what drives this discussion? Is it the heavier sound of Pyromania that uh, the fan base was expected to continue and didn't get their fix with Hysteria? What do you think that drove that or that drives that discussion?
1: Yeah, you know that's a great question, and uh, certainly I don't expect to arrive at a definitive conclusion mm-hmm. <laughs> since it will just mm-hmm. be my opinion. But um, you're right. You know this really is a, a debate among fans and. I think both albums are so incredibly strong, and a lot of that um, is, is definitely owed to you know producer Mutt Lange, uh, mm-hmm. terrific producer, my absolute favorite. Um, but you're you're right in that Pyromania did sort of still have influences of that new wave of British heavy metal sound uh, that mm-hmm. fans knew off of early albums like On Through the Night and High and Dry, uh, High and, dry. And, and they enjoy, and they enjoyed as well. Um, Empire Mania for me adds a really really great element in their live shows. The songs that they do still perform off of the album, uh, Fool mm-hmm. and Rock of Ages, Photograph, those yes. integrated into their live sets now, I feel really really tie it together and make it complete. Um, Empire Mania for me has always been um, sort of about the the tracks that don't have as much radio exposure or you know notoriety among fans. Um, mm-hmm. You know I love Photograph, I love Rock of Ages. Uh, and I think, you know, going back to how you mentioned that, uh, Def Leppard really broke and sort of cracked the U S market more than it did in the UK at one point. Uh, and a lot of that is owed to photograph, I believe. But, um, for me personally, I love, I love songs like stage fright. Um, I love songs like die hard, the hunter, you know, just these, uh, these tracks that, you know, they created with the intention of making pyromania such an incredible album. And yet years later, those are not played in concert. Those are not played live. Um, they're more of deep cuts that I think really tie the album together more than hits like, you know, photograph and and the ones that everyone knows. Um, Mm -hmm. and then we come into hysteria where, you know, I, I love the album because if you were to take one song away, um, I, I don't believe it would be hysteria anymore. And not to say that every song on the album was, was a a hit in terms of sales, uh, or, you know, charts, but Mm -hmm. I believe every song on the album Makes the album, um, and Hysteria, it whether it was Mutt Lang's, you know perfectionist spirit or um, you know looking at the album through the lens of Rick Allen's triumphant return after he lost his arm. Yes, um, something about it just makes it magical. Uh, <laughs> like they say, it's a magical Mysteria. It really is. Um, and one other thing that I love about the album is that you don't have to know a lot about the band's history. You don't have to know a lot, even about music. If you just listen to it, you know that what you're listening to is good. And that's, if you're able to do that, um, to me, that's a sign of of truly a knowledgeable uh, band. And something that I've heard Joe Elliott come out and say is that, you know, Def Leppard was never truly a a metal band, as demonstrated by albums like Hysteria and even Adrenalize. Um, Mm -hmm. Mutt Lang, when he was producing the album, made it so that way he could take elements from uh, several different genres and and put them together to make this monster album that would do well in terms of sales. So um, to me, that's what Hysteria is. And, you know, it, in my head, it, it does trump Pyromania in the sense of uh, just overall tone of the songs and what it does, you know, the emotions that it evokes in me personally. But, of course, that's a matter of personal choice. <laughs>
0: No, brother, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I tend to sit in the, the um, hysteria f- uh, side of the debate. Uh, I, I enjoy Paromania, but, uh, and, and it was interesting that you mentioned if you take one song away, it, it's like it's not the, the real deal. I have just one thing to add. I would actually add one of the outtakes that was included in the 2006, you know, the new edition, and that was uh, Ride Into the Sun. I mean, I, I love that track. I love that track. And I think if it were released back then, it would have been a hit single. Um, the other, other um, track I love, and again, this goes into the cover uh, side of it, it's uh, Def Leppard's cover of Alice Cooper's uh, Elected, uh, the live version. And for me, I mean, I don't say this easily, but it trumps the original. Uh, and I've seen uh, Alice Cooper live, uh, and I have to say that, uh, yeah, Def Leppard uh, surely does does it better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm absolutely with you there. And, and it's just amazing. You know, there's such a versatile band, and even if you go back to Pyramania and look at the uh, deluxe re-release version, um, you'll find a live version of, of Traveling Band on there, uh, which they <laughs> play with Brian May from Queen. And then, meanwhile, in the songs, they they slip into a cover of Led Zeppelin's Rock and Roll. So, you have Def Leppard on stage with Brian May playing Led Zeppelin. It's just like, it can't get much
0: cooler than that. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Amazing. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I think we we talked about uh, Def Leppard and we can come back to this subject. But I'm keen on hearing more about what I don't know. And I I know you are the expert on Def Leppard here. But, uh, again, from... That period, 83 to 93, um, which band or which gem do you think um, most people don't know about and should, or most fans of hard rock, of the hard rock genre, should know about and don't?
1: You know, that's an excellent question, and uh, (laughs) it's taken me.
0: Oh, no, sorry, no, not band bands plural. So I am yeah, I don't I don't hope to you to to come up with a single name, but uh, s- s- several of them because I know uh, y- you'll have several, of them. right?
1: Um, and you know, in thinking about this question, I had about ten thousand you know artists whizzing around my head that would fulfill this category. So it really did take some thought on my end, but um, <laughs> I narrowed it down to two. Just for people who uh, want to check these bands out. In my opinion, these are amazing bands. Uh, The first being Arcade. Uh, Arcade is this amazing glam metal supergroup that formed in 1992. They released three albums, the first being released in 1993. And just if this Mm -hmm. gives you a taste of what you should expect, um, the band featured Steven Percy of of Rat on vocals, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Cinderella drummer Fred Curry, as well as um, Frankie Wilsack, the guitarist from Sea Hags, and... uh, who was the other fellow? Donnie Syracuse uh, from, <laughs> from Gypsy Rose, as well as Michael Andrews from 9.0. So this was a super group in its truest sense. Um, it, it very well could have been another rat album, in my opinion. And yet <laughs> they were not on the map at all at this point. It was 1993. Um, musical yes. tides had, had shifted drastically. But this is one of the coolest albums I think you can check out from this time. That is still, um, even though I'm sure we have some fans that that know of it, Uh, is Mm -hmm. still, uh, you know, under the radar. And one song that I recommend personally uh, is the amazing, amazing power ballad on the album titled Cry No More. Uh, I think that's a great place to start. Um, Another band that I felt really, really, um, you know, nailed this category of best, you know, AOR gem, so to speak, Mm -hmm. Uh, a band called Blue Tears. And I don't know, Pedro, if you've heard of them, but... um, you know, with myself being a big Def Leppard fan, this band, I come back to time and time again. Um, they released their first album, you know, in 1990, we're coming into a new decade. And mm-hmm. it's amazing because the album itself is a, a complete, you know, blend of, of two major artists being Bon Jovi and Def Leppard. And you hear mm-hmm. their influences um, so profoundly throughout the album. And you know, my favorite track on the record itself has to be the title track, Blue Tears, because you have, you know, the intro and and the opening verses, the inflections in Greg Fulkerson's voice are to the T Bon Jovi. And then in the in the transition from the pre-chorus to the chorus, within an instant, it turns into Def Leppard. <laughs> and it's, it's just amazing because I've heard people cover Def Leppard, I've heard people, um you know, who have, I've heard bands that have had Def Leppard as one of their main influences, but I've never heard a band so masterfully be able to mimic their sound. And if, you know, personally hearing this album for the first time, I found it in a thrift store for a dollar and I didn't know what to expect. (laughs) And the first time I played it, I thought I could have sworn Mutt Lang produced the album. Um, If you, if you listen to it and you, you know, you didn't know that Mutt Lang didn't produce the album, you absolutely would have thought he did. So, uh, this is a, a terrific band. Sadly, Greg Fulkerson passed away back in 2009. But, um, man, killer album. So you should definitely check that one out as well.
0: we Will do, we will do. I'm writing this down. Actually, when you started to talk um, about uh, blue tears I, I I mistook them for blue blood which again is a vinyl that I, I got for um, uh, I believe uh, two euros something uh, like forgotten in a in a in a very small um, record store back in Portugal uh, you, you'd be surprised we, we can talk about that later but it's a very small place and uh, that was the place where I also got this is not aOR but it's a funny story because it, it's so small that if they sell dvds as well so basically you have to sit down in in a bench uh, looking through you know crate th- digging and if you move your back a bit you hit this like massive dvd uh stand and everything falls down so i got i got believe it or not an original pressing of uh the last waltz uh with uh, the you know the the concert that martin scorsese directed and uh, he recorded everything, right? So I got the the, the live thing, uh, original pressing. And believe it or not, I mean, the thing, I know the value. And uh, me and my dad were crazy about it. So I, I bought it. Uh, and it was actually in, in a bin. So I got it with um, the Rolling Stones, uh, a Rolling Stones album that I didn't really want to get. But I just want to get both of them to say, okay, here's the money and buy. Uh, because it was such a find. Uh, so, yeah, that's a funny story about my crate uh, digging uh period <laughs> let's call it like that
1: oh yeah that's a score congratulations on that Yeah, point.
0: yeah i'm I'm very proud of that one <laughs> i have to say um it, it's a funny thing you mentioned uh the supergroups because that's definitely something that um you know sometimes flies under the radar i would love to hear your thoughts on two supergroups uh the first one being the h s a s you know with the uh, sammy Sammy hager uh neil sean i, I I'm, I'm sure you heard of them yes
1: absolutely yeah. um i have not had the honor of owning you know a, their extensive catalog on vinyl um I, mm-hmm. I did find one of their live sets uh at at a record fair recently um mm-hmm. for just a couple bucks and so uh you know that was a big score for me i i was able to to make it through that one and um just fantastic i mean you you're taking the best of the best you know at what they yeah. do. And when you put them together, sometimes, you know, you you might think that it would be explosive and have a negative effect on on the music and make it, um, you know, competitive. But honestly, I I felt that with HSAS, they all listened to each other and they all um, played to the best of their ability and, and really made it just an amazing, an amazing project.
0: Sure, and I think that uh, that was sort of the foundation that Sammy Hagar later used to found the Chickenfoot and all the other side projects, the million uh, million number of bands he's involved in. Uh, but um, but but yeah, it, 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 again, it reached a modest position in the charts, and it wasn't. It was right before he became the lead singer of uh, Van Halen, and uh, I don't know. I think there was it. It didn't receive that much attention. But, um, what are, what's your take? You, you pretty much, you, you think it's a solid album.
1: Um, and I'm sorry, the name, the name came back to me through the fire, (laughs) through the fire. Um, yes, (laughs) yes, fantastic album. Um, and you're right. I think it was really in this critical period, uh, where Sammy was, you know, between his, his solo work and, and about to take, you know, his position as frontman of Van Halen and, uh, you know obviously fans would have their their disagreements on that but um you know in in this band in particular um really just i mean he he's excellent i think Sammy Hagar is one of those people where he's just a man with a Midas touch everything that he's a part of I, in my opinion just turns to gold and and HSAS is a, is a shining example of that
0: Absolutely. I mean, uh, "Top of the Rock" is uh, one of my favorite tracks, and uh, I think their cover of Prokhor Harm's uh, "Whiter Shade of Pale" is—it's it, quite powerful. Because, I mean, his vocals are, are simply amazing on that one. The, the other band, and again, we move uh, a few years later, and it's funny you mentioned Rat, it's actually Contraband. Uh, <laughs> so with M- M- Michael Schenker, Tracy Guns, and uh, I think it was Bobby Blotter from, from Rat on the drums, if I'm not mistaken. Again, that was an album that it's quite the opposite of HSAS. Uh, I mean, it, you don't hear about it. Period. You so I'm sure. Actually, there was something. I don't know if there was a song in this album that was covered by Blue Tears later. Um, Not fully sure on that one, but uh, I'll have to look it up. Um, I mean, your take on this album. It was a different year, right? It was released in 1991. The tastes were shifting. Um, Again, you you still have a very strong uh, ensemble, but uh, it somehow didn't break out. would you agree with me on this one? Yes,
1: yeah, so, you know I, I do think you're absolutely right, and and part of that, you know, is the time that it was released. And um, going back to what you said about how you know Blue Tears ended up uh, taking that and and covering a song, um, you're right, and I believe that was loud, loud guitars, fast cars, and wild, wild women. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, contraband is really is re- really an interesting supergroup because, like you said. Um, it it was really kind of dwarfed by, by other groups like Damn Yankees, um, Mm -hmm. at a similar time. Um, but it, it's also really worth mentioning, you know, to fans of these other bands, um, to fans of these other side projects, because man, (laughs) it's an incredible album and I'm a big Macaulay Shanker fan. I think that was such an excellent time in, in the band's history. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, to take, to take his work and, and apply it in a, in a group like contraband with all these other you know talented musicians um, really just a, a stunning effort and unfortunately you know this is another one that I don't yet own on on vinyl but uh, you know I'd love to score a copy
0: someday <laughs> yes yes it, it, it's on my list as well I'm, uh, I'm still still digging for that one <laughs> so that brings us to actually the I think the, the most well, one of the most interesting uh, s- uh, topics for me, which is 1991, the year everything changed. Um, it- it's quite interesting because it appears that, um, like, one day the world woke up and glam metal, AOR, hard rock was not popular anymore. And, I mean, when we look at what was happening back then within that genre, you- you'd still have, what, Van Halen, Metallica, Kid Row, Mötley Crüe, uh, Guns N' Roses scoring number one albums. Uh, a year before that, you had Poison with a, a, a number two album and even the, a very little-known band, uh, Alias, uh, with more than uh, more than words can say, their single, was actually number two as well. So you'd still and even Pretty Boy, uh, uh, was it Pretty Boy Floyd, I think? Uh, yeah, they were trying to, they were also making, uh, making some waves. So, I mean, there was still uh, action or it was still alive. And I mean, what I really, you, what I tend to see is that you had the likes of Poison going uh, into the country territory with their third album um, and Flesh and Blood, and Cinderella as well, more in the country blues uh, segment, and you had the other bands going to a more Guns and Roses, punk-driven sound. Uh, Would you agree with me on this one? I mean, let's assume that uh, Nirvana never released Nevermind. What do you think would be the natural evolution of uh, the bands from the 80s?
1: Yeah, Pedro, I'm really glad that you brought that up um, because a lot of people look at 1991 sort of as, you know, the definitive year that uh, glam metal died. And, you know, to that, I would say that, you know, it was was definitely beaten and bruised and bloodied by this, this shift in musical... Uh, taste but in fact it never truly died um, and you know th- there are a couple different factors that sort of played into the the demise of glam metal and grunge is definitely uh, a main one sort of this new alternative rock movement and it's not really hard to see why I mean 1991 we have um, the release of Tad's Eight Way Santa we have Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger uh, mm-hmm. Pearl Jam's 10 album the Melvin's Bullhead, Temple of the Dog with Chris Cornell. We have these you know, landmark albums uh, it, within this, this subgenre. And even if um, Nirvana never released their Nevermind album, I still think that these other albums would have uh would have helped to cause this shift. Um because really there were other factors involved. Um, for example, you know, Los Angeles during this time, particularly the Sunset Strip, was, was just oversaturated um, with bands. It was it was such a competitive uh, atmosphere and bands really struggled to garner, you know, airplay on local radio stations and to find uh, gigs to uh, to play their live sets at. Um, You know, finding local venues was difficult. And meanwhile, you have this contrast where in Seattle, the music scene was it was very understated and more underground. And, uh, another important thing to remember is that a lot of these bands based in Seattle were, uh, were together for years, you know, before they became popular. Um, Mm -hmm. an example, this would be Alice in Chains, you know, who coincidentally Mm -hmm. used to be a glam metal group. Uh, and so they had a lot of time to sort of become familiar with, with each other's styles and, uh, to sort of perfect their craft, even if it's not one that, um, you care for. I know certainly it's not my cup of tea, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, bands that were being cranked out in LA seemingly overnight didn't really have as much time to uh, strengthen what they did as a group. And I think another reason that sort of caused this, this decline in the early 90s was was the look of these bands. As you mentioned, a lot of these, um, you know, bands like Poison and Guns N' Roses and uh, Cinderella were, were going toward more of a punky, sort of bluesy, uh, you know, style. And I think... During this time, you know the the look of glam metal was so huge and and flamboyant that um, you know th- this new sort of stripped down look that came out of Seattle really got people's attention and it had kind of shifted that attention away from that huge flamboyant look that people had known for so many years and you know we see this in the fact that glam metal groups kind of tried to assimilate their style and tried to tone down their look um, like you mentioned poison's flesh and blood album even leading into native tongue in 1993 mm-hmm. with richie kotzen um, and we see this in other albums too like great white's hooked uh, you know cinderella's heartbreak station comes to mind slave to the grind uh, even mm-hmm. the illusion albums from from guns and roses uh, but even while that was happening even while the 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 giants so to speak were shifting their style um, there were still bands that were cranking out what I like to call, you know, traditional glam metal, um, though typically they weren't uh, receiving as much media attention. And I think a good example of this is the band Nitro. If you if you've heard of Nitro with um, Jim Gillette, who I believe was married to Lita Ford for a number of years, they released wow. uh, their album uh, titled OFR. Uh, I believe it's 1989. And mm-hmm. <laughs> when I think of Nitro, I think of the song Freight Train, which is another song uh, to check out particularly the, the music video, because when you think of 80s metal, this is what comes to mind. <laughs> it's typically what I show people when they ask what kind of music I'm into, and uh, it's frequently the reason why they don't ask me again. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, I have the same reaction because I showed him Breaking the Chains by Dokkan. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, I, I get where you're coming from.
1: <laughs> I'm glad we can relate on that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I,
0: I mean, th- different video clips, same reaction, I would say, <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: everything between Jim Gillette's Tower Hair and, you know, we have a four-necked guitar descending from the ceiling, it's it's definitely worth checking out. But Nitro, I would say, is one of those bands that was still, you know, uh, making that same style of music. They followed it up with Nitro, Ch- Nitro 2, um, Hot, Wet, and Dripping with Sweat in 1991, which, uh, you know, w- was sort of an odd album, especially for the year it was released. but um, we, we see it in other bands like Rocks, Gang, Dangerous Toys, yes. uh, you know, in, in their early, early work. Um, there was also another band, uh, in the early nineties called Roxy Blue. They released an album called mm-hmm. Want Some. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think this is another, another good example of that. Um, and, you know, off the top of my head, we have other bands, you know, Bangalore Choir, Kathmandu with, uh, Dave King of Flogging Molly. This was, uh, after his work in Fastway that he, um, formed this band, Um, and another sort of obscure one that comes to mind is a band called Bitches Brew, and this, uh, features, um, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Really, the only way I can is that it's a a female-fronted version of Wasp, and it's, it's really (laughs) unique. (laughs) It's really, really unique, um, but still, that style was very, very prevalent, um, and also in, in the band Bo Nasty as well. We see a lot of the same, uh, Sort of you know glam style that that really took over music for a number of years. Even though you know times were changing and, and people's attention were moving elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, I have to say, I'm surprised you didn't mention the band that beat Nirvana for the I believe it was the American Music Awards for best new hard rock band, Firehouse. Uh, <laughs> I actually yeah I actually saw them live in Portugal with Ted Poley from Danger Danger as the opening uh, act.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah that must have been a terrific show it
0: was it was i mean but but firehouse they even their ballads uh no even, even well not the ballads but their anthems are now played out as an acoustic version so it's pretty much like a, a retired version of a firehouse i would say right. <laughs> but yeah for sure but yeah i mean um definitely one thing that i'm now doing and again not at the same extension you are, because it's less professional, of course, but it's actually identifying those hidden AOR hard rock gems post-1993, and I'm not talking about Aerosmith's Get a Grip, uh, more into, you know, what, like, cool albums that a lot of people, um, well, that simply fell into obscurity and uh I don't know I mean you you focus on 83 to 93 and and, and that's a, an excellent batch do you have a personal recommendation or I don't know a band you really enjoy post 93 uh some excellent work that was some sort somewhat uh, forgotten
1: um, well I do have a couple Uh one of them is actually the, their album was released um, in 1993 yeah, uh, it's a band called Alley Cat Scratch and um mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've heard of them but I should preface it by saying that uh it's not a very child friendly album. <laughs> it is very <laughs> very sexually overt. Um it it reminds me a lot of uh you know Metal School pre Steel Panther uh sort of mm-hmm. lyrical mm-hmm. style, but um you know it it really is a pretty sensational album. Um it's it's very sleazy. It's, it's, it's more of a sleaze metal sound, uh, combined with sort of these little, um, flares of glam. Uh, so that's a great one to check out. Another one, uh, is a band called erotic suicide. They released, uh, their first album titled amusement park. I believe it was 1995. Um, another one where it's, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit different just because it was the mid nineties at that point, but still, um, still has that 80s sound, still has that, those great melodies. Um, That's another one to check out as well. Um, And, you know, in in terms of post-1993, I know that there definitely were uh, bands that were still making their music. A lot of them were not based uh, in the U.S., so it does require a little bit more research on my end. Um, Mm -hmm. But you you're absolutely right there're definitely there's no ends to what <laughs> to what we can find
0: absolutely i would have to say from my side i would point out and again i'm breaking my own rules of not using uh, commercial names but uh, i would say the three albums Post-92 onwards would be Lancia, so I really love that album. And uh, you mentioned uh, Melody, and I recall the song Sweet Melody by Lancia, so I I love that album. Uh, The the, the second one would be uh, For the Hard Way by Danger Danger. Uh, And again, this one is quite, um, well, it's well-known, but for me it uh, deserves more credit, and that's Vince Neil's uh, first solo album, Exposed. Uh, which with Steve Stevens in the guitar, I mean, that album is simply amazing, in my opinion. <laughs>
1: yes, I'm really glad you brought that up. I mean, next to Too Fast for Love and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, I, I love all of Motley's work, but I think Exposed is, is one of the best, you know, studio efforts on, in terms of Vince Neil. Um, so I'm glad we we share that opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in all fairness, and uh, being a fan of Motley Crue and and especially Vince Neil, I I could never finish his second album, Garvin Stone, I believe, uh, from '95. Um, I could never finish that album. I mean, I just I can't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's your take on that album, but but for me, it's very difficult to actually go through song by song.
1: Yeah, you're right. It it is a it is a step. <laughs> away from from his previous work, so I, I definitely see how you feel
0: that way. He, he went back uh, as the frontman to, to Motley Crue in '97. So I mean, if that that needed to happen for us to get Motley Crue back again, uh, it's fine. I, I'm I'm willing I'm willing to accept its existence. <laughs> So, um, moving to 2019, I mean, currently we have Greta Van Fleet as the, you know, the new kids on the block, uh, making some waves in terms of the hard rock uh, scene. More than, I mean, beyond them, what currently is, I mean, if you had to pick up a, a recent release within the hard rock AOR genre, I mean, what, which album would you pick? Which, which band do you think that is now uh, the new thing or has an amazing sound?
1: Yeah, you know, that that's a great question. Um, I, I do want to give a little shout out here because, um, you know, I, I was thinking about your questions and I was thinking about, you know, which label sort of embodies this new spirit, you know, the, the, these, this new generation of rock and roll. And um, I think one label that does an excellent job of that is Frontiers Records, uh, you know, based in Italy. They, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they make that their mission. And so I think if you were to... Go on their website go on their social media page whatever and and check out their releases you would find plenty of um, new bands that are are picking up the torch of rock and roll um, in my personal opinion I love uh, the voice of Ronnie Romero and you know hes mm-hmm. he has he has fronted so many bands over the years um, including rainbow but you know between his projects like Lords of Black and uh, Corleone and and I believe he um, uh, oh, what was his other one um, Destinia. He has such a terrific voice, um, you know bands like Ferryman, others. Um, he He's definitely worth checking out if you if you have not heard any of his material, um, I, I strongly recommend that you do listen to him. Um, another one that you know I think is really sort of on the up and up um, I, I'm trying to remember because <laughs> there's so many that I, I have off the top of my head here, but um, one that I think really is taking up the torch uh, would be Animal Drive um, with G- Dino Jelucic, Uh Terrific voice. They just released a new EP um, called Back to the Roots where it, it's a cover EP. Um, they just are covering their influences. But um, check out their first album, Bite, which was released last year. Uh, killer voice on this guy. So I think that's definitely another one that's worth checking out.
0: It's amazing. I, I mean, my recommendation from my side, I... Well, I pick up a thing or two uh, here and there, but uh, it would be room experience because you mentioned Italy, right? And uh, this is actually you have uh, the, the lead singer is actually British, but the, the rest of the, the band members are Italian. So you have uh, room experience is, is I mean they deliver uh, really good AOR and the album was released in 2015 i believe um and it w- it, it was simply amazing uh, i really enjoyed that one but i guess that's uh that's uh, well it's still in europe so one of uh it's still linked to your recommendations or your sources <laughs> right no i'm i'm writing that down and i
1: think another one for you know if you are interested in aor um would mm-hmm. be to check out age of reflection uh new bands they they really don't have much of a following but um, they're working on the, wrapping up their second album right now, and, and their first is just top-notch, amazing AOR. So I would also <laughs> suggest that you check them out.
0: Will do, will do. Um, So a bit more into your collection right now and your gig experience, I would say, what's the, um, the album your, I mean, your biggest achievement in terms of album acquisition or the, the one you're most proud of having in your collection?
1: Right. Um. Man, you know, that's a good question. I <laughs> I had the honor of of meeting Rick Allen um from Def Leopard last year on behalf of the Percussion Marketing Council and I I brought along um two copies of Hysteria. Um one of them is is the uh Picture Disc LP which was, you know, released back in the day mm-hmm. and um he was kind enough to sign that one for me so that's sort of my my holy grail at the moment <laughs> i i have that one h- hanging on my wall um you know other albums I, I have a few Striper records that are signed um you know s- some signed motorhead uh you know just some some ones that are definitely more hard to come by nowadays but i'm curious to hear what yours are as well
0: oh uh, I, I would have to think about it i think the, the last waltz is, is one of them um I don't know. I, I was quite uh, quite happy when I got uh, Vince Neil's exposed and actually Aerosmith's Get a Grip because for me any album post '92 that you can get and uh, you're able to buy in vinyl, it's it's quite quite an achievement because back then uh, CDs were were the thing, not not vinyl anymore. So I'm I'm quite uh, quite happy with those two purchases. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm. I have to think. I actually got uh, Van Halen's latest album with back with David Lee Roth as well. So that was uh, a tad expensive. But yeah, that would be the. I think those would be the three best acquisitions, or the ones that were difficult to come by. But I, I managed to get them.
1: That's terrific. Yeah, I've always wondered about that because I. I've seen you know on on Instagram, I've seen people who are are based over in Europe in their collections. I feel, are so much more um, difficult to find over here in the States. So I always wondered about that. Like, you know, uh, vinyl in the 90s, how rare is it over there versus over here, but... Um, Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. Well, let let
0: me give you an example. Um, So this is a bit uh, outside of the scope of our conversation AOR, it's actually Keen, uh, and I do love the band, and I do love their album, Hopes and Fears, uh, 2004. Um, But again, before, up up until a couple of years ago, you could find, I don't know, maybe 10 copies on Discogs, all, uh, like the selling price would be starting at $200, right? Uh, so that was and even that was like the quality was like eh, dubious at best and then they re-released the the album and that's when i bought it but uh, so so sometimes it's it's very very difficult to acquire and and, and then you get like vinyls coming from brazil sometimes uh from countries where you really think wow did bulgaria have such a strong motley crew fan base in 97 that they have generation swine um no i don't think so but well maybe uh and i actually uh got one from uh from japan because i do have a friend who goes there for work quite often so i got her to get me a vinyl uh from japan um it, it's not it's not a an, a western band but it's actually Actually, a, a Japanese um, Japanese composer, and I, I got that one. But again, it was somebody who went there and actually got it for me. Um, but but yeah, it's it is difficult. And I, I I ordered several vinyls from the U.S. You you are able to find like some collectors who have some rare or specific editions here. But it's 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 difficult to to come by. I would say. I see. Hmm. And, um, yeah, I guess next in full, I mean, the, the biggest question would be um, your favorite gig, the, the best concert you've been to, and is it Def Leppard? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man, well, <laughs> I'm a little biased, so I would probably say yes, just uh, because last year, uh, you know, when they toured with, with Journey and with Cheap Trick, uh, mm-hmm. such, such an amazing opportunity to not only, you know, go backstage and, and see the band, but, um, you know, to have great seats afterwards to watch the show. Um, I'm always someone who sits up in the nosebleeds. I'm always way in the back where no one can see me. Um, so in order, you know, it, when I got the experience to be up close, that was really sensational. But, um, you know, and, and this sort of does fall out of what we're uh, talking about, but. Um, I, I saw Brian Adams a couple of years back, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was just an extraordinary night. Um, there was hardly you know anyone in, in the stadium. I think it was because it was probably a Wednesday night or something, but um, just an absolutely amazing show. He has such a great voice still, and, and you know he just released <laughs> his new album. Um, it, that was definitely one of, one of the best concerts I've been to. just a really, yeah. really great show overall. Great. Uh, I mean, I, I have
0: to say, I missed out on a great chance to see White Snake and Def Leopard uh, in the same night, so I'm uh, still uh, having nightmares about missing out on that one. But um, I, I would say my number one concert, and again outside of the scope of this conversation, is your uh, your country's icon and idol, Bruce Springsteen. It was. An amazing concert. I mean three hours, a three hour gig. Uh, he was headlining this music festival back in Portugal. It was his second time. the first time he was he was in Portugal was in 9'3 without the e Street band. So I mean to see a three hour gig from a guy who's like pushing 60 something, it was just like mind blowing and all the classics and everything. it was it was amazing. So that would be my my first uh, my first pick, the second one would be a, a Motley Cruz farewell tour with Alice Cooper as the opening act. It was outstanding. I, I saw it, uh, I went to Germany, I, I flew to Germany quite a few times for concerts, one of them was Aerosmith, the the other one was um, was this one, and I mean... I was there by myself because my friends uh, bought tickets but then couldn't join. So I, I was there by myself and I immediately mingled with the, you know, locals, uh, despite despite my German being basic at best. And they were all like, you know, wearing the, the spandex and with the long hair and you're having a conversation about, like, uh, John Karabi, like, we don't want to talk about him and da-da-da. So, so you get into the spirit, right? It was such an amazing night and uh, Alice Cooper, I mean... I I always I always enjoyed Alice Cooper and I do own both B- uh, Billion Dollar Babies and uh, Trash, um, and two two different eras, right? But but I'm a, a massive fan and I I just want to see him live like solo, not as an opening act because it impressed me. It's it's it is a crazy show. <laughs> I mean yeah. the visuals the visuals are just wow. He I think he was. He was beheaded in the middle of the set. So, you know, the, the crazy stuff he pulls out. But it, it was simply amazing. Yes, definitely. Oops. Oops. No problem. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. No, that so does sad. sound amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, Bradley, Listen that's these were all the questions i had for you um thank you once again so so much for for being on uh, my humble podcast and uh i hope to hear more from you and your ongoing project and we get to see the final output next year maybe we have you back on the podcast and um tell you tell us all like from may 20 or april 2019 to may april 2020 that journey you know we want to we want to know
1: Absolutely. I would love to to be, you know, back on your show and I so appreciate you having me. It's been great talking to you and if you're ever in California, man, don't be a stranger. Come on by. <laughs> uh,
0: thank you so much and uh, we'll definitely be in touch. <laughs>